Hello and welcome to JTV Podcast. My name is Sam Kaufman and in today's debuted episode, JTV founder Oli Anisfeld and myself discuss the challenges of Jewish education in the age of diminishing attention spans. We speak about the long-term effects of this surface-level education, the rising impact of a culture based around the consumption of content, and the potential harm this could all lead to. I ask Oli on how this all affects the creation of JTV videos, whilst he challenges me of the very notion that people really have such short attention spans to begin with, the necessity of why God has created such an egotistical, needy generation like today's, and in the process he shatters my worldview about Spider-Man. It's quite a classic thing, by the way, for two guys in their 20s to like, have a long chat and then think, <laughs> oh, oh, this should be a podcast. Are we a stereotype? <laughs> yeah, this is why I've told like, almost no one in the past couple of weeks about this, because I don't want to be that guy talking about my non-existent podcast. <laughs> Well, it is now yeah. existent. Well, yeah, please God. The idea is, because I remember you had an amazing interview recently with Rabbi Manus Friedman. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen it, but I, I saw you afterwards and you were just beaming and telling me over. And I, I knew I had to check it out. Mm-hmm. The issue is it was 90 minutes long and only in the video form. So oh. me, trying to be a bit techie, I downloaded it onto my phone. A bunch of uploading, downloading, so I'd go for a run and therefore I could listen to it. Okay. And then I told the next time I saw you, I said, you've got to make a podcast just for the hassle of that. <laughs> and this is an idea that we've been speaking about for a couple of weeks. Mm. And then we also thought, why not utilize the format, mm. not just to put up pre-existing material that you guys made where, you know, long hour, 90 minute interviews with big names, but also just a more informal, relaxed setting to talk about ideas and issues that I think are more personal to, to you and I. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know how much background I want to give about myself. Give me a little bit. I'll say I'm 21 years old. I'm from Golders Green originally. I say in life, like in background, we have a quite a similar story. Yeah. with like sort of like similar style of school, but different school. Yeah. We ended up going to the same um, yeshiva, Torah so school. It was a non-Jewish school we both went both to. Both a non-Jewish school. We're both quite British in our background yeah. and our But it wasn't culture. so out of the bubble. As in like it was a school that Jews will go to. Yes. It's not unheard of. I wasn't the yes. only kippah yarmulke wearing in oh, the school. Oh, I, I was. Oh, well, yeah. I was in my, in my year. I, there was one other guy. I, put a, I only put on my kippah in my, when I was 17, going on 18. Oh. Um, and there was only one other boy in my year that was wearing a kippah. So wow. there were, I'd what colour did you go for? Sorry? Did you go for a plain black one? Plain black, yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, I play it pretty safe with my colours. <laughs> Um, but uh, I didn't really give him much thought, to be honest. I just, uh, you know, put it on. And, uh, yeah, I actually remember when <laughs> I first put it on, there was a guy that said to me, oh, that this, this is going to last about a week. <laughs> and I thought, challenge accepted. Nice. <laughs> Were you where it was wearing a kippah? Well, my school was, um, they say, I think they said officially it was 25% Jewish. Uh-huh. Yeah, so same in my with me, year, same with me. But I think it's, so we, we had a joke that even though we were the most religious non-Jewish school in the country, mm-hmm. and we had more guys yes. after year 13 going to Israel for yes. gap years yes. or learning Why programs. do you think that is? Because I've spoken quite a few times at the Jewish Society of mm. your uh, old school city of London, mm. and um, I'm amazed at like how committed the, a lot of the Jewish people are there. What, what do you think is the ingredients for that? I, I think, well... If people know that they won't be the only kid going in, keeping kosher, wearing a kippah, mm. leaving early on a Friday, that means that they don't feel like they'll be alone. They feel quite comfortable doing it. Because mm. I remember when parents would come round to look at the school, they would sort of just like see a kippah in the corridor, look at me and ask me a few questions about how things would work. Right. Uh, but also, I mean, the school's very... The Jewish society, they say, is the biggest society in the school. They meet... They're, they're quite big now. They had two lunch and learns with like proper food and speakers like yourself coming in. 
they bought a safer Torah in the past couple of years, or someone donated one. Wow. And they were having uh, a minion, so they were, do- uh, they were praying it every morning, a group of them, every single day of the week. Though. When I was there, we did it twice a week, and they bribed everyone with uh, a breakfast of like sort of croissants afterwards. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know, I say it's quite sort of established and known about, that you can be a religious sort of modern Jew in London, go to that school and it's, it won't be a detriment. And academically, the school's pretty, sh- I like to say pretty sharp. Well, you seem to have done pretty well. You seem pretty okay. sharp to me. Depends who you ask. Well, if you ask me, I say you are. <laughs> so I'd say that we are, we are similar in background, thank God, which it helps. Yeah. But we, we, I, I like to think that we have some, um, there are some issues that we have major disagreements on. Oh, yeah. Which I think makes it a bit more interesting. Hence the whole, we're a bunch of 20-something-year-old guys. Let's make a podcast. Well, Sam, you've never actually mentioned these dis- disagreements to me. So I'm, I'm excited to uh, bear maybe. them publicly to the entire world for the first time. Maybe because you never picked up on them. Clearly. You're always monologuing. And I'm okay, still like, well, mm-hmm. Sam, please be less subtle in the future. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what, though. But today's sort of dichotomy, the difference between us, is less a um, ideological difference, but more just a point of view. I've helped you out with JTV. I don't think we have an ideological difference. I, not, not majorly. I think it's sort of more I don't maybe know. nuances. I don't think we have any ideological differences. You think politically? Yeah, I don't think we do. I think we're probably... I reckon if we, if we fleshed it out, which maybe we can do on a future yeah. podcast, you'll find that you and I agree on, on pretty much everything. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing, though. I think it's, it's far more interesting to talk I about think, things you I have think, a different... I think truth is multifaceted. On. And so it's like we have the 70 faces of Torah. So... Mm-hmm. You know, you might have a different tone or way of expressing uh, truth that, that, that I might, but it's all fa- it's all part of the two sides of the same coin, so to speak. So, um, but look, that's we've now clearly enticed people to <laughs> come for podcast number two, where we can talk about uh, political matters, I guess. Yeah, well, the gloves are not, off. But that's not what you wanted to talk about today, was it? No, the thing I was thinking about today is, um, and I think the difference is it makes you as more of a producer of content and me as more of a consumer. Mm-hmm. I've helped out a few times in the past couple of years, sort of, with, I've, I've helped, I looked at scripts before and subtitles and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I've never been sort of behind the camera planning content. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is where we differ. I do con- uh, consume a lot of online content, I'd say, not just from your channel. Some to, uh, I'm, I'm proud of and some Try I to. just sort of... <laughs> It's just endless binging of YouTube clips of TV shows that I've already seen because it doesn't feel like commitment to something else. What kind else. of TV shows? Like, like things like The Office. Actually, I've never oh, seen The Office. Oh, The Office is brilliant. The, the, yeah. office, the Office was a childhood, just complete obsession of mine. Ricky Gervais uh, is just one of the funniest. You mean the UK one? Yeah, the UK one. Oh, I was thinking more of the, the Oh, no, 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 no. Brits do comedy way better than America. I, I, I agree, but there's, there's more of the American one out there. Okay, fine. Well. They butchered it to 11, 10 or 11 seasons. Yeah, of course. But, so yeah, so that's my qualification. I have a, a large background in consuming online content. But I think this is, I do a lot of it, but I think there's a detriment to it. I'm, I'm really starting to notice, both in myself, but also just across friends and also across different generations. Hmm. Which is just that um, our parents didn't grow up with this. Mm-hmm. They grew up with uh, before the days of record TV, where if you didn't watch it live, you missed it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think people's and in, in their attention span was far greater. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, we're so sort of used to quick content, instant gratification. Mm-hmm. So a two minute video here, if you get bored of it, leaving it. And when it's so easy for us. It's no longer you have to go get up to the TV and physically change the channel. It's now. Just you tap your phone and there you are. Mm. 
that um, it's, it's having a, a wider detrimental effect on just our way of learning and consuming anything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it applies, of course, in sort of more funny, silly, jokey sort of um, bingey videos, but also in educational content. Mm-hmm. So I was reading up um, this week about just in general stats on attention spans. I found this, uh, this cute infographic that I'm going to, I can find it in one of my many, many tabs. But it was about how in 2000, here we are, the average attention span, I'm surprised it was, it was this little anyway, in the year 2000 was 12 seconds. Now, I don't know how they recorded it, but then they tried again in 2015, <laughs> and it instantly dropped, dropped to 8.25 so if seconds. I make, so if I start making a video, there's another base, I go, Hello, everybody. Welcome to JTV. Today, we're going to talk about... Well, that's it, everyone. We appreciate your time. Well, you, you know the thing about people when they make their first sort of judgment on a person? So you have like a few seconds right. where it's just the way right. you look and the way you start speaking. Yeah, but that's ready. a first judgment. Yeah. Okay, but then there's... The but attention span means they can sort of give up paying attention. Yeah. Okay, so go on. Continue so this is like, it's your... jumped from 12 to 8.25 uh, seconds in 2015. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it's even less now. <laughs> you know the whole thing about the goldfish has a memory of nine seconds? Yeah. So it says that in 2015, we had worse memories than a goldfish. Wait, so, is it, and it's, so it's getting worse and worse? It's getting worse and worse and mm-hmm. worse. Mm-hmm. Um, we're becoming more forgetful mm. as a result. Mm. Small things, people's names, birthdays, sort of you meet someone... And they'll say their name is John at the start. Mm-hmm. And then five minutes later, you're just, you're just completely, you're blanked. Yeah. And this is a, another, they're saying a side effect of just the decline in attention spans. Mm. People forget basic things, entering rooms, you know, and not having no idea where they entered. Mm-hmm. At the same time, of course, our cons, our con, uh, the way we consume and sort of how much time we spend on our devices and this sort of social media and emails and WhatsApping. And how often we check, even if we don't know if it's coming in, we just go on to our phone and check and scroll down the list of pinging notifications mm. is sort of going, is, is increasing. Mm. And also tech companies are latching onto this. They're designing their content to be as accessible as possible. Mm-hmm. They're designing it to therefore, you know, there's a lot of, even the color green is meant to sort of, you know, entice you like a green tick, you've um, you scored a point. So a lot of things like, you know, complete form will be a green button. Read more will be a green button. They want to sort of entice you to keep going on the app. Right. Even on YouTube, at the end, they say, you want to watch more videos, or they're constantly telling you which video to watch. YouTube don't care so much how much of a video they, you watch, provided that you spend that time on their site. Mm. In fact, the more videos, the better for them. Mm. Because every time you open a new video, it could be a new advert, a new re- more revenue for them. Yeah. So it's, it's in their best interest just to get people to watch content. Yeah. They don't really care about the quality of the content. Mm. And we're becoming a lot more reliant on these sort of methods. So, and there are a lot more stats on this, and there's a whole a ton of this. They said the average length of a video watched on the internet, according to study, was 2.7 minutes. Mm-hmm. How long would you say is the average length of a JTV video? Well, we're actually quite proud about our average time, so it's actually, it's actually the average time. I have to keep checking it because it changes a little bit mm. each month, but it's around four minutes, actually, which is actually double the average length. So I'm quite, I'm quite happy with that, but I still think it's a... Uh, it's it's not how it should be. Um, what what we, do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is I don't think it necessarily. I I, I would challenge this uh, presumption that we that we, uh, you know, have such short attention spans. Okay. In, in what area would you challenge in terms of just do you think for you for yourself you've not noticed or you just don't think it's these data that it's quite skewed. It's giving off one very one sided point of view. Well, it's, it's only one part of the story. So 
the first thing I would say is that, you know, when people complain about, oh, this generation, they're just so pathetic and how they just have such short attention spans and they're just so, uh, you know, just completely uh, just ignorant and they just they can't sit down for five minutes and hold a conversation. I think the first thing to recognize is that if this this information overload and technology overload happened to any generation, they would react this way. Yeah, okay, sure. so it's nothing inherent in our generation that's making us like this. You know, we are victims of this in a sense, uh, and any other generation that had this information overload, entertainment overload, blood, you know, serotonin overload, um, they would become. You know, it's and it has addictive qualities to it, as you said. They're designing it in a way that it has addictive qualities, um, but the point is that we <laughs> human beings used to s- seemingly have far longer attention spans mm-hmm. and is, so is it something in the human condition that's changed or is it something that's happened to our environment that's made that's changed our attention span and i would contest and i would hold that it's something that's happened to our environment and we don't inherently have short attention spans and i can give evidence for that okay first of all look at the rise of podcasting Look at the rise of long... No one expected that. The rise of long-form content. Some, there are some people online um, and some uh, sort of think philosophers and like whether people are watching like Christopher Hitchens or Jordan Peterson or whoever, um, Russell Brand, you know, um, Dennis Prager, yeah, yeah. all these people on, the, on either JT, side though. of... Well, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're trying, but, but the point is people are prepared some people at least if they're interested in a topic they are prepared to sit down and listen to someone just talking or having a conversation for a long period of time so why is that so what's what do you think's happened why why what what do you think they're achieving because sometimes these podcasts um don't have amazing graphics and amazing this that the other which by the way there's a great place for that and i think the reason why I use sometimes in some of the videos fast-paced graphics and animation stuff is because you can create an amazing experience. But it's like co- having constant highs the whole time. The mm-hmm. brain goes into overload. We, we are designed to experience pleasure um, in, in moderation and at moments of, you know, life is about going on a bit of a... You know, you can't always have those highs. Otherwise, they're not highs. They're just... <laughs> they're, they are your um constant yeah. the whole you know so um there's a place for having moving gra- like things that can appeal to the heart and get you there but people are also prepared to listen to sobering calm content and the distinction is if it's meaningful to them if they think this has relevance to my life mm. you will pay attention if i have something everyone has desires in life everyone else thinks something they're trying to sort out in life if i said i have a book for you which i assure you will fix your problems people would read a book i I guarantee you they would listen to a lecture for three hours five hours they wouldn't they would they would gladly take on as much information as possible and they would sit their bum down for as long as was needed and it wouldn't matter how the content was consumed so what's the point the point is that it's not that we have short attention spans. It's that we live in a generation that, as with every generation, but this generation particularly, is 
promised the world because there's so much accessibility and physical abundance and globalization. But at the same time, life doesn't always work the way you want it to. So we have these high expectations. Mm -hmm. We're told you can achieve whatever you want. And then we're constantly seeing on social media this stream of everyone seemingly leading these perfect lives and it it's all kinds of feelings of jealousy and shame and oh i'm not worthy and feeling like my dreams can't be achieved and all that kind of stuff and it's like but it's addictive at the same time because it, it elicits real feelings within you and then you get this serotonin overload and then you've you get entertaining content and you can escape from that it all mm. and people use technology as a way to escape from their problems and it's just a numbing activity and so, of course, we have a short attention spans because we just constantly want to jump from something to something because we just want to escape. We're not interested in. So, so we, you know, we, 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 so of course we have short, you know, that's why we have short attention spans because we just want the next hit, the next hit while we continue to escape our problems. But if someone comes along and says, I can help you fix your problems, then people listen and people pay attention. And that's why I think you know, some people and religious communities will be like, avoid technology at all costs. And I've never had that view with JTV. I've always thought, mm -hmm. as with anything in this world, anything can be, is, everything is neutral. It can be used to do good, to do bad, to love or to hate, to bring order or to bring chaos. Yeah. And technology, as Rabbi Sachs said, when, when we launched JTV and he gave it his blessing, he said, Zeich HaSadik Levracha, Rabbi Sachs, he said, um, you know, technology is God's gift to us to help share wisdom, to help, you know, connect people with, with, with other people um, around the world. And it can be used to bring order and beauty and life and, and happiness and information. Um, but it can also be used as forms of, of uh, escapism and, uh, you know, all kinds of negative things that exist online. And so... The answer really to this all is not to think, there's a reason why God gave us technology. It has amazing potential for good. And we're not going back to just, Hashem does not, I do not believe, wants us to go back to not having technology. He gave it to us. Mm. But the point is we have to be master over it, not let it be master over us. And so you, these people who are listening to these long form podcasts and they can you know, sit there for hours just listening to something or watching something where it's not particularly high, highly produced, they do that because it's giving them order in their lives. And you'll find that the more order you have in your life, the more you can, you can be the master of technology and content. And if that means sometimes watching something for a little bit of, you know, just downtime, fine. But you know to experience that in moderation because you've got order in your life and you're happy. And you can utilize it when you need to and you know when it's too much and you need time off because you can't just sit in front of a computer all day. It's not good for the human condition either. We need connection, all that kind of stuff. And so if you have order in your life, then, then, then you will use technology in the best way possible. And, and so this whole thing of attention spans, I don't believe there's anything inherent in, in our generation. I think it's just we need more order. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's not, I don't think it's unique to the fact that we are alive at this point, but it's just the influence around us. We're not to blame for the, uh, the world that we grew up in the world that we are in. No. Talk about, you know, their own personal bechira, personal free choice, mm -hmm. and how we take control over the poss possibilities that we have. Yeah. And also, I agree with you completely that there is a, a place for all these forms of content. There's a place for four-minute flashy videos about some idea. 
and they can be incredible. Yeah. And there's a time and a place for long worldwide ideas. Exactly. It's like, yeah. you know, we have in, in, in Jewish uh, practice, there's time for dancing and celebration and things that really evoke the heart, which mm. you can do that with really flashy content and moving content, cinematic content. But there's also a time for just sobering, just thinking, purely using your brain intellectual stuff that might not be the most valuable, but you need that just to consume. You can't always consume intellectual information. Well, you can't consume into it just pure intellectual content when it's um you know very emotive and very you know it, it, you need to be in a, in a classroom you know so there's a time for a classroom and there's a time for a a you know a wedding hall or a celebratory simcha whatever it is this is like the, the line in um, kahelet ecclesiastes is mm-hmm. that how you say it oh i've, got I've never known my... i've never known tongue around that word <laughs> the one done by solomon where he said that like, there's a time for dancing, time for joy, time for sadness. Mm. And also that like, you need both, otherwise it has no value. If you're only watching exactly. stand-up comedy specials, exactly. you stop laughing because that becomes the norm. Yeah, and everyone who's just constantly getting this overload of whether it's just stuff on Instagram and they're just constantly scrolling, mm. they're miserable. It's miserable. And also scrolling on Twitter uh, <laughs> and Facebook where everyone's constantly moaning and screaming at each other and and, da, 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 and rather and just bringing more and more chaos rather than thinking okay let's be proactive in trying to fix things rather than just being another anonymous uh, troll <laughs> online <laughs> that just that just criticizes everyone hates the world and it's becoming uh it's becoming completely uh maddening and and um but it's addictive because because people it's like a, it's like a um, vicious cycle. A vicious cycle, exactly. Because basically, the more it becomes painful, the more you want to escape. And how do you escape? By, By going on technology. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, for me, my view is let's use everything in, tool in life and everything, including technology, to bring order and uh, wisdom mm. to people and godliness. Yeah. But it's also you have to do it with... Um a recognition of how it can be used and the pros and the cons of each medium. But also you have to do it within, with caution. I feel that you mentioned, say, the, the long Jordan Peterson, Russell Brand, these long, long videos. Often the way people find out about these, these figures and these speakers is, a, is they'll see the sort of short clips online of these taken from these big... Yeah. I've never sat down and listened to an entire Joe Rogan podcast, but I've seen many, many small clips of different figures. Mm. I've never actually listened to a whole Ben Shapiro university lecture but i I see those videos online of ben shapiro poems left destroys as you see those but you don't yeah what i fear about that is that you can it's not helpful either because you you lose the context if you destroy someone of that as well if i'm destroying someone yeah that means that this person is worthy of being destroyed Mm. and if i'm not mistaken god god told the angels to stop singing when the egyptians who were beating up his people, were drowning in the sea. Yeah. That's why we spill uh, the wine. One of the reasons we spill on the wines at Satan night is yeah. sort of to, to remember the, the spilt blood of the Egyptians. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, this language of destroying is basically what Rabbi Sachs spoke about, dualism, mm. where religion and religion doesn't just exist in spirituality. It can exist in your politics can become your religion. Anything can become your religion. And you divide the world into those who are good and those who are bad. And those who are worthy of being saved, those who are worthy of being destroyed. And if I'm going to destroy you, it means you are worthy of being destroyed and you, you have no value. Mm. You have no good value. And that's not good. 
that's not good. And um, so you tell me, I mean, you said at the beginning of this podcast, we're going to disagree on politics. I think you'll find that we'll probably have a lot more in common than you think. I've been thinking about us a lot. And I mm. think the whole tone of politics, both left and right, has become far too fanatical um, and too, too um, tribal. Yeah, it's um, more about the, not the uh, the why behind these discussions and what's actually they're talking about. Yeah, it's but become, the, the style, the way that and the how. It's become religion. It's become yeah. religion and fanatical. And everyone's digging in their heels, and um, it's basically us versus them, and it's dualistic. But you, and, you know why? Also, the uh, the, the bench period destroys mm. those videos, get millions of hits, and at the top, the why, the angry tweets are always mm. at the top of your your newsfeed. Because they're the most sensational. Yeah, and they're the most exciting, and the people, you know when people feel someone makes a really good point mm. that they agree with, and they're allowed to make their point, and they sure. may well be right in the points they're making. But whenever it's attacking, just trying to attack another human being, you know, knowledge and what's true and not true is separate from the human being that you're disagreeing with. And that's the problem. That's the problem. It's the tone, and it's the... Uh, it's, it's, we should be able to disagree with respect for one another. Um, and... Uh, you know that's that's just what's being lost, and 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 it's just all part of this hysteria that's um, overtaken this generation, and that feeds into the whole attention span thing. It feeds into yeah. everything. No, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm never sure. A lot of it does. Yeah, but I was thinking, but with the um, the short clips, whilst yeah, they incite and they're sensationalist, and they get people to click. I think the theory is if you watch a five-minute, ten-minute clip or something, mm. or even these lectures, I mean, the way it works for me in university is that the lecture is meant to be a two-hour, one-hour overview of the topic, mm. but we're meant to read around it. We're meant to do our own work around it. It's meant to sort of just be like, um, like a headline to the article. Mm -hmm. And if we are only consuming sort of the overview, the five-minute best clip or the, the highlights of the sports match, we're only used to that, then we forget and we don't understand the full context. Mm -hmm. And... Naturally, I mean, it takes more time and more effort to sit down and watch the whole lecture and to read all the books. But the amount of knowledge that you'll, you'll get from that piece will be significantly less. Okay. And, your and point is well, I, I, another sort of like fear of this short attention span and the way we consume content is, and you mentioned also, it's about um, when you have a desire for the content, then you can sit down and, and, and bring more in. Is that we seem just to we learn less from it we, when we try to. If you want to learn about a topic and you go onto YouTube and you watch a 10 minute overview of that certain topic, you might, you know, but now become familiar with the, the buzzwords. You can listen to a conversation about it and be more comfortable understanding it. But one's own knowledge lacks all the nuances and details that really it takes to, you know, master a, a, a topic, mm. master some piece of information. Mm. And we're, if we're becoming more numb to sort of just the way we take in information, then it feels quite clear to me that also we're going to become more numb in, in, in our, our, our general um, understanding of things and the way we know stuff. It's becomes more fuzzy. Exactly. And we'll learn which, is why, which is why I keep challenging this notion that we, don't, that we have short attention spans. It's mm. not true. If I'm here and I present to you something that you think can really enhance your life or if you are convinced this can enhance your life, you will listen for hours and hours and hours and you will make time and it will bring order to your life. So all I think we need in this generation is to bring order and to bring truth and godliness. And... It all, in my view, comes a lot of it comes back to the uh, that interview that you mentioned at the start that I did with Rabbi Manis. I think 
human being needs to be needed. And when you feel needed, you feel you have a job to do, you bring, it brings order to your life, and you be, start to become master over yourself and over the things in your life that are going on. And you start to feel you have dignity and purpose, and then you overflow that to, to, to other people, and you become more loving to other people. And you can only overflow when your cup is full. Um, and, uh, so, and then that brings order to the world around you and to other people. And, um, yeah, so, so I think, I think we're not going to solve anything. Technology itself can't solve the problem and, mm. uh, and, and turning off technology can't solve the problem because we can't, it's the genie's out of the bottle now, <laughs> you know, and I know some religious communities perhaps wisely, um, are just trying to limit it. But the problem is people's autonomy feels squashed and then you end up having people that just fe are shamed um, or feel terrible and guilty for using their phone. And by the way, it turns out, I was just talking to someone yesterday um, who was sort of wondering, why is it that alcoholism isn't such a, is a, is a, very, a very, I think it's disproportionately lower issue in the Jewish world, certainly the religious Jewish world, than it is in other communities. And he thinks one of the reasons, because it's so readily available, you know, on Friday nights and Kiddush and, and Shabbat lunch, and when people feel that something isn't available and they can't use it, it's, it's, it creates a curiosity and a mystery around it, you know. And, uh, and, and, and so I think that it's a double-edged sword, just totally banning technology in a world mm. which is so technologically, um, you know, uh, connected. And it's just, it's like there's no going back, especially in Corona. It's undeniable to think that God um, doesn't want us to utilize technology when it's like it's the only form of connection, you know, and, and even the religious Jewish community are getting on board with it now. Yeah. And um, so it must be that it's not that we should destroy technology. No, it can. We should just become master over it rather than letting it be master over us. But this, the answer to that lies outside of technology. The answer to that is purpose, meaning fulfilling your potential finding your purpose and having a relationship to god yeah. to something outside this universe something greater than the universe greater than you greater yeah. than all of us also it should be said that even the more haredi or more ultra orthodox communities who have mm. often held back from mm -hmm. technology and i live in an area which has a lot of these sort of people uh, around yeah. me yeah my family aren't as such but mm. Even when they bring it in, they do it within moderation, which I have a lot of respect for. Mm. They won't let internet devices into their home unless it's got a strong filter. Yeah. Not just restricting things they think is inappropriate, but yeah. just sort of time filters. Yeah. I saw, especially when Corona started, mm. they were advertising, they called them Zoom tablets. Mm -hmm. And they're basically like very cheap Kindle Fire type tablets that were been programmed that they only had Zoom. Mm -hmm. So they could be internet connected and you could use them, but they were limited, so you could only use it for the purpose they had it for they don't want people to sort of take them and then to start you know endlessly consuming small videos and content and memes and that. they wanted mm -hmm. to limit it mm -hmm. even like when, when parents when they introduce technology to their children i'm always amazed you ever see this when you go to like a, uh, a restaurant and you'll see a family of young kids and it's like their night off and they've gone out and all the kids are just sort of watching or they're consuming with ipads and little video games and it it, it, it terrifies me that they get so much access to it yeah yeah it's, as I say, it's a double-edged sword because mm. if you if you limit it too much from people, from kids, it's like not giving them sweets, candy. I have that. You know? Yeah. You, are you what? So you weren't given it? As a yeah. Kid? Well, my, my dad is a, a children's dentist. Okay. So we so can did never. Did you become obsessed with it when you? 
quite a bit. When I growing up as a young kid, like we never had any any sweets in the house. We mm. had um, you know Rice Krispies, not Cocoa Pops. Okay. I had a friend once come round and um, we had cornflakes. He never seen them without the you know the sugar coating. Mm. Well, your teeth were great, to be fair. Oh, thank you, mate. <laughs> Too kind. Uh, all credit to my dad. I'll, I'll put his business card out at the end. <laughs> but I know. I mean, as a young kid, we never had it. I remember on um, on Rosh Chodesh on the first day of the month in primary school. Mm. Uh, everyone could bring in a sweet, a bit of candy in, mm-hmm. and I used to bring in a satsuma. Mm. So there's a level of envy that grew out of that. And I think when I became like 14, 15 with my own debit cards and access to shops, mm-hmm. at times I would I'd go a little bit overboard. I just buy and buy. Recently at Purim, someone got me uh, a little mishloch, not a little gift bag, and I had a whole packet of Haribos in it. Mm. And I just opened them and could finish them within about five minutes because I never really, I don't think ever owned a whole packet to myself. Wow. And I think a bit of that is, yeah. On the other side, though, my parents, which I, I have, uh, I'm very grateful for, is um, growing up, they never allowed us to have a games console at home. And all my friends did, and I was always like so envious of them, and I would, I would try and do different chores to get a Nintendo DS or access to that one, or even just a phone with games on it. And when I go to friends' houses, I'd sort of, I couldn't stop playing on their Xbox. But I, I grew up without a dependency on it. Mm. And I've never, like, I can't sit and play video games for hours. I, I can do five, I can't. Me too, I can't either. Although sometimes, but... Look, I, I owe it to that. No, look, everyone, sometimes, everyone has the things that just don't appeal to them anyway and things that do appeal to them. Mm. But if it does, if it might appeal to you, if there might be some curiosity there, um, then, you know, being told you can't do it in some ways creates more of a desire to experience it because you want to know about it. So it turns out that I think in this generation, more than any other generation, we just don't like being told what to do. And I know I don't. <laughs> um, but we, we feel we want autonomy. Mm. We want autonomy. Um, we also believe it's a right, which is... Yes, yes. More, I don't say yes. modern, but more modern idea. Yeah. And the question is, why would history go that way? that we feel more and more about more and more interested in our decision making and no one enforcing it upon us and us having and us have feeling as self uh, autonomous and self-conscious as possible and the answer is because that's exactly what god wants why why would he want us to feel such a sense of self because then when we choose him and choose to love him that's a real relationship because we've really chosen it see we're adam and eve in the garden of eden they were so aware of their you know the fact that they're just a product of god's creation they're just like yeah. all right god what do you want what do you what do you want from us and um see they they figured out that eating from the tree even though god said don't do it that's exactly what god needed to happen because he See, he couldn't tell them to do... The whole point was they had to go against his... They, they figured out... The whole point was they had to go against his will so that they would then become something outside. They were so... They were just like a complete product of God's creation. So there's no relationship. There's just God. They're a product of God's creation. So by eating from the tree and doing something against his will, suddenly they, and they become a self. They ate from the tree of knowledge, of knowing good and evil, meaning they suddenly are able to pick between the two. They suddenly have choice, free will. And Hashem said, Shkoyach, Shkoyach. 
we believe history only progresses. It doesn't, we don't, we, it, go, it only goes in one direction. You really want to tell me that Adam and Eve, the greatest of the greats, the, the original human beings, they, they, they didn't have, they were just too stupid. They, they, they made a mistake. No, 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 no. They realized that if God, see, God can't tell you to do this because then there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no self. If he says, I do it, but I don't, I don't want you to do it, but I need you to do it. It's the catch-22. Yeah, it's the catch-22. Yeah. So he can't tell you to do it, but they realize you got to do it. And, and then God said, and that's why, you know, God said, why, you know, why was day six, the, you know, the greatest day? And then day seven, like it was, uh, it clearly, that's why the eight Sahara was so, it's, God's like, this is very good because that means you now have choice. And so ego the the whole process of history is us developing more and more of a sense of self, more and more of an ego, so that we feel as much a sense of self as possible, and then we just tell God. And then and then what will happen is we then choose a relationship with God, and then it's a real relationship. So what's happening now is we're just becoming the most needy generation, the most self obsessed, the most wanting of autonomy, which is fantastic because then when we choose a relationship with God. It will be the most real it's ever been in human history. Do you think it's, if utilised well, it's the ideal state? Because I often look at it as sort of a lot of restrictions that we've now imposed upon ourselves or we now have with ourselves that get in the way of a relationship with Hashem. All these sort of distractions and me, 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 and we don't think about others and the world outside of our own peripheral vision. Yeah. I mean, that, that might just be taking, you know, the other side of the coin. If you take... The opportunity that we have, and then go down the alley of, I guess, sort of single-mindedness and, and e well, the bad side of ego. Yeah. You're saying if it's, if it's harnessed, it can become sort of, it can really strengthen the relationship that an individual will have with Hashem. Yeah. I, I never really thought of it in such a way. Yeah. I know Rabbi Sachs often speaks, often spoke about um, how Judaism is the only religion that looks forward. Absolutely, our golden age is in the future. Mm. Every, every other empire and nation, their golden age is in the past or in the present, but ours is in the future. Yeah. And also it always makes sense that, you know, the world that we are entering into has to be one step closer to Mashiach, to the final redemption. To It only goes in one direction. And uh, that's the story of Purim, that mm. no matter what happens, even if you do nothing... God wants you to do something because he wants you to be part of the story. Yeah. Isn't that what Mordecai but, says to Esther? He says, regardless of what happens, God will save us. Exactly. But exactly. you could be the one who exactly. really is the we catalyst for change. Exactly. We don't choose the ending, but we can choose which role, we, which character we play in, in the story. Hmm. And uh, evil will destroy itself. You know, Haman will build the gallows for Mordecai and he'll end up being hung on the gallows. Who killed Hitler? He killed himself. Evil hmm. will destroy itself in the end. It's just a ticking time bomb. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It has to happen because God has to have a relationship with us. He has to. So evil must be destroyed. Mm. Yeah. It's funny when you're talking about Adam and Eve. I was thinking about this morning, actually, because I was um, I happened to be teaching some seven, eight year olds. And I mentioned the story of Adam and Eve. And when I learned about it as a kid, I thought of it as a very simple black and white sort of cartoonish story. Mm. Of there happened to be a first man. But he's like me. And the first woman, he's like her. Mm. And they walked around, and they ate from a tree, and then God got mad, and they threw them out of the garden. Simple as. And then, as I got older, especially if I read, I've, I've read um, the Ram Chavai, Moshe Chaim Lezato, 
He's uh, written about, I've read a few times he's read, written about the deeper meaning behind the story of Adam and Eve. Mm. And how it's a very a deep philosophical point and there's tons on it. And we think about it as a very simple childlike story. And we often forget that it's, it's, it's there's a reason why the Torah kicks off with this story. Absolutely. It's, Look, it's Rashi's first question. There's, there's, there's so many different levels. There's a level for the child to understand. There's a level mm. for the adult to understand it. And there's 70 faces to Torah and, uh, you know, and different tones for Torah. And each generation requires a different tone. And uh, you're, it's not wrong, this, this, what you learned, no. but it's also only one, ele- one side of the story. There's, there's much more depth to it and there's much more to learn. And we've, um, you know, one of the things that actually bothered me about some of the Jewish learning I got f- at a young age, and not, not always, but mm. it was I felt it was very childish very one-dimensional, very simplistic, and just a bit like... And I wasn't saying that I thought it was that. I thought, no, this must be much deeper. There's something much deeper here. And I don't like that this is being just treated as some kind of like... You know, I remember when we were like learning about Noah's Ark and like singing in Cheder, like pitter-patter raindrops. And I was like... <laughs> I think I was, always, I was already like nine at that stage. And I was just like this is just so childish. Like, what are we doing, you know? <laughs> like, there's so much more depth. I'm sure there's much more depth to this story. I wasn't denying that. And, and obviously there is. But I just, yeah, it's the dumbing down of the Torah. And the divine word <laughs> does not, is cannot be, there's nothing less dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I mean, you might have just been a very smart nine-year-old. There's nothing wrong with age nine having a very rudimentary understanding of these stories. What is sad is when you're 19, 29, 39, yeah. and that's still the same understanding of the stories. And like, even if, you don't, if you're not aware and you can't give you know, know. five different major theses of what actually happened on yeah. Noah's Ark, if you're aware that, that that world exists, that there is that content... Yeah. Everyone, then... everyone thinks hmm. that, um, you know, it's just childish and hocus-pocus and all this kind of stuff. And so I don't blame them for rejecting it, but 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 we know that uh, you know it's uh, it's the it's divine, it's 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 infinite, it's it's got the whole world in it. So the famous story, of, I think it was the Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, where someone said to him, "Rabbi, I don't believe in God," mm. and the Rebbe went, "Yeah, me too." So I was like, "What?" He said, "Yeah," and he went. The Rabbi went, "The God that you believe in, I don't believe in either." Yeah. But it's very simplistic, sort of old man, the sky, angry. Yeah, I never, I never got Does, that. I never thought about an old man, the sky. It's obvious to me we're not talking about <laughs> a man. Sure. That sounds like Christianity to me. <laughs> we're not talking like, so I never got old but man in the, the sky. If you look at the paintings, the, the great uh, Christian paintings, that is how it's... I know, but we're Jewish. Way. And I was like, I'm, God's not a man. I'm, uh, you know. Um, but... Yeah, no, look, people it's have a, it's a it's misconceptions a and it's, well, it's not a shame because we can set the world right, you know. Yeah, and of course. But 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 uh, that, that's why it's also important not to, you know, to blame people if they, sure, don't, yeah, yeah. If they don't, if they have a misconception because they have a misconception which was given to them or they weren't educated or that, you know, and uh, so, yeah. no, so everyone is also this is part of... Um, why we should have you should feel hopeful for the future and for humanity and 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 relationships and other people a lot of the way people behave is actually a result of things that happen to them yeah you know um their nature to, yeah exactly yeah. it's reactive 
Um, our Bechira, our free will, is actually qu relatively limited. Um, and so it just takes, you know, we've got to trust God. They'll, with our help, mm. put the world right. Rabbi Tatz writes about this, Rabbi Dr. Akiva Tatz, in his book, Thinking Teenagers' Guide to Life, mm. which is an incredible book, by the way, that isn't just for teenagers. I read it when I was 18, and then I read it again a couple of years later. Uh, he speaks about the level of free will, one's Bechira, and how every single point in one's life, they have a, a, a challenge, a unique challenge bespoke to that person. And then you can master that challenge. So it can be a small thing. It can be sort of waking up on time and wanting to, uh, you know, have the excitement to pray in the morning. Mm. And then you can work on that skill. And then the moment you've overcome that, you've achieved that. Yeah. It's still a challenge to you, but it's sort of like a, you've, you've shifted the goalposts now. Exactly. And you've got to work on the, on the next challenge. Can yeah. I say all the words with, with the right intention? Mm. And then it's, so our level of Bechira, free will, still exists in all areas. Yeah. But it only really exists in the areas where we make an active current choice. Yeah. And it's so wonderful, by the way. Mm. It's such a wonderful process because, like, that's growth, you know. Like, yeah. you know, you, you overcome a hurdle and it's great and you enjoy it and you smell the roses. And then it's like, okay, let's go to a greater heights. And you're just fulfilling yourself more and more and more and more. And um, that's what happened with Abraham's 10 tests. It was just like, let's just take you, you know, we see tests as a negative. Oh, no, 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 no. It's like being in the gym. It's yeah. building muscle. You look at that muscle, that like, whoa, all right, let's see if we can go for higher weights now, you know. Uh, I'm not speaking from regret. Well, actually, I have a bit of experience now. Well, I mean. um, <laughs> and uh, so um, I just flexed for them. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, tests are great, you know. It's, it's just, it's for, for really for self-knowledge to realize mm. your, your potential and your... Yeah. But, but that's how muscle you develop muscles I understand that's what the term being ripped means mm. is that you'll push yourself to the where your muscles are kind of going a bit more than they're, they're, they're able to do yeah and so you're pushing it a bit and yeah. then that, then the, the muscle sort of it gets a bit rip, ripped and then kind of uh, it heals and you go on you go on one stage up exactly and then you, you it go breaks an down it's like level of weight it's like so I've been told I've never actually tried it well it's like paradigm scare me it's like a paradigm you mm. you you're in a paradigm and then you to, to go out of it you have to break down the paradigm and a new paradigm built it's a bit like um planting uh trees what happens first when you plant the seed it breaks down it it, it de decomposes and then yeah um and then that's that's the beginning of it i've always found it um funny that the person that trains me is his name um well, in personal trainer at the gym so yeah, yeah someone i do training with he's he's um he's a per yeah personal trainer he's called alon uh, which means uh, a tree uh, and uh, call him. He, he's affectionately called Aloni, um, which means my tree, and it's it's literally like oh, his arms like trunks of trees. Uh, well, no, but I'm the <laughs> well, yeah. I've, no, the, the point is, he's 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 in great shape. But the mm. point is that um, that's how um, building muscle works. It's the same as it's the sa it's the same as how trees grow. Um, you've got to rip the muscle. You've got to destroy the paradigm destroy in order to um build something even greater yeah. and it's the same with growth um, same with learning as well you have to go to, you have to go a tiny bit outside your comfort zone you know try and be in environments that you the content is a bit above you a yeah. tiny bit but an achievable achievable amount above you yeah and then you can sort of get into it mm -hmm. i mean honestly why not but dovetailing back to sort of the points the, the females opening with the short videos that say you make or the short videos at any topic they can be just be sort of like gateways. If you if you try and say we're going to cover the entire story of Noah in five minutes, mm. and and you present it as you know the entire 
encyclopedia of it in five minutes, and you're going to fail. Yeah. If you speak about it as, also, as an introduction two, to... It will also fail for two reasons. See, I've... We, we, our, our tagline is Jewish ideas, global relevance. Okay. Uh, for me, just telling a story of Noah or telling a story of this, that, it's like, well, so what? What relevance does it have to my life? I mean, I remember when I first went to a Talmud class in yeshiva. I had no idea what yeshiva really was at that point. And mm-hmm. I was only, Judaism had only really experiences like being relevant ideas on the to- weekly Torah reading or Jewish history. And it was all very meaningful, meaningful, meaningful. And I get into a Talmud class and they're talking about um, selling a piece of land, in a, in a, a plot of land in, in ancient Israel. And I put on my hand, totally innocently, I said, what relevance does that have to my life? And uh, <laughs> I didn't get a good answer at the time. Now, of course, I have <laughs> great understanding and appreciation for the importance of um, the methodology behind Jewish law. But... Um, it's a good question to have. Yeah, no, it's a good question. So in some if, places, that, that question is sort of almost scorned and people are embarrassed to ask it but yeah well i, I wasn't i wasn't yeah. and um uh, it's quite well it's <laughs> i don't know what it says but i said it mm. and um so for me the questions always be what relevance does the story of noah have to me what's the message behind it not just what why and what's it telling me uh, you know and that's and it's all come that comes back to what we're saying about content that sell if I, if you know that content is relevant to your life and yeah. can enhance your life can f- help fix your problems you will pay attention so that's why it's that's always been the motivating drive for for jtv and for the, the kind of content that's in, that's been interesting to me and that i've wanted to share with other people so you think if you can make the content seem everyone can be aware that the material covering is relevant to them and they can develop a desire for it then they'll come back for the 90-minute videos, the long videos. They'll go to classes. They'll get more involved. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. It's a good, it's good gateway, but you don't feel like you're sort of limiting them to only to the five-minute clips. Yeah, You're yeah. limiting them to a service-level knowledge. As I say, we do a mix of content. You know, sure. the, it's like the emotional and the intellectual. So and the, the, the longer parodies. form and the short form. Exactly. And the Donald <laughs> Trump impersonators, which I love. By the way, my favorite thing about Trump is... Uh, <laughs> the way he always finished the sentence by saying, and every and you know that, and everybody knows that, <laughs> and you know, you know, the election was a fraud, you know that, you know that, and it's like the self confidence of, and everybody knows, you you know that, and it's like but, it's, I, I really <laughs> no, I admire it because he's like everyone, he's saying everyone knows that. I think well, if everyone knows the election was a fraud, then you would, then you would have, <laughs> then you would win, <laughs> and then you would be the president right now. But I, I, no, honestly, I learned from everyone. I learned from his self-confidence. He's just insisting that everyone knows what he knows and mm. what he thinks. And, um, of course, that's not true. Everyone has a different brain, a different perspective. Um, yeah. But I, I appreciate his, um, his self-confidence um, and, and wanting to push for what he believes uh, is important, you know. And uh, it's, it's, um, it's just quite funny, though, like saying... You know, like dark chocolate is the best out, best kind of chocolate out there, and everybody knows that. You know that. You know that. You know that. Come it, on. It's a very distinct style of speaking. It's <laughs> so nothing where we, we disagree on. Can you imagine? You're, you're, you think your Donald Trump impression is far better than I think. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, like a rabbi talking? Yeah. Like uh, you know, like look, you know, um, <laughs> and Abraham was very hospitable. And you know that. I mean, you know that. Everybody knows that. That's what. They're <laughs> like, just give- <laughs> it's just such a funny way. Well, when you when you talk. stand on the pulpit, yeah, you can get up there. That'd be your time to shine, <laughs> and you can assert knowledge on, onto the community. I look uh, forward to it. <laughs> one day, one day. Alas, we digress. No, I mean, no, I, I think that's very true though, because I was I was wondering about the responsibility. 
that's why I said it's you as a content creator. There's a responsibility if you're putting things out in, in the ether about big topics, very fundamental topics. And I, I've, I've spoken to people where a lot of their sort of their entry to different big Jewish topics came through JTV. Mm. I, I, I came across you, I guess, later when I was sort of ready, uh, you know, the one who's part of the, the crowd, part of the choir. Mm-hmm. But and they, they said it's been you know, massive for them. So you have a responsibility in that sense. Mm. But if you always go into your content with the idea of making it relevant to them and not trying to say it's sort of, you know, all encompassing, mm. then yeah, hats off to you. I think the theory is when um, when people, they, they make small content and their goal is not just to, you know, um, become a catalyst of more learning, but rather just to get more views, to get the people to watch their next video and the next video, next video. And then it becomes very sort of like a circular. Mm. You know, it's, again, what I said about the social media companies and the companies like YouTube and, that, and the way they they model their their products is only about them and not about really really about the, the needs of the viewer. But if you're tailoring it with the needs of the viewer in mind, then I can only assume that it you know it will be successful. Yeah, I feel there is. By the way, I've always felt as a sin- there's got to be a synthesis be- between what I want to share and the best way that people want to consume. Uh, you know, content and what 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 people want, and JTV and, and I think any successful media mm. company is going to be about f- fine fine tune, constant fine tuning of how do I communicate the things that I care about in a way that people will be receptive to. Um, and but I think the the most important principle is talking about what you care about and what you know. And if you have passion for something, people will be receptive to it. Um, you know, that's is, what, is that how you choose the content you and the videos you make on JTV? Um, largely, Purely sometimes we'll be we responding to events or responding to things that are happening. Sure. But, you know, yes, I think absolutely share what your passion is about and, and that will that will shine through. And, you know, I even I mean, I remember listening to all of Ricky Gervais interviews about how he you know, wrote, came up with The Office and it was based on life experiences and same with extras and these other things. That was another TV show that he yeah. did. And he just said, write about what you know. What you know is the best form of content. Um, and what, what he really means, what you care about or what you're passionate about or what you find funny or what you find wise, what you find informative, what you find, et cetera, et cetera. Because it works. Meaningful. Yeah. When you're overflowing mm. from what's, you have to other people people are receptive i think like even in if someone has a desire to learn about you know you say read this book and it'll fix all your problems in life it helps the books well written it helps if the books you know got jokes in there and breaks in there and it becomes more exciting it helps it's, it's not essential but it really it, it we're human beings and we get tired and distracted yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that absolutely even if you're true it's right and even yeah. if even if you are cer- not certain but if you think this can really offer wisdom for, for, for my life people you know they have other things going on in their life and they need things in, in in moderation but i'm just saying the more people believe the more the the, the wisdom is there the more mm. attention you're going to get sure. overall because you can't fake authenticity that's you know you can't fake wisdom because fake wisdom, wisdom is self-evident and yeah. you and, and and when people hear it and it resonates they just and it enhance their life it, it becomes it proves itself yeah no, for sure, like when people, they can, and they get the impression that you are passionate when you're speaking about the things you're speaking about in the video. Especially when, I think, the more things that are more off the cuff, it's a, a live event, or yeah. the, the videos that you sort of film in the portrait mode on your phone. Yeah. 
where like it really comes across that it's something that you've, you've thought about and that you care about and that it's it means something to you and you become not just sort of a, a transmitter of information the middleman but you become an actual i guess it's more the role of an educator or any yeah. form of educator or presenter just to make it sort of become more human and naturally we'll care more because if you care it must be important well not because I appreciate you, if that. the person you're listening to cares, also if it's you. I think so, yeah. Yeah, then it, it, it gives it sort of um, an undercurrent of, of status or value that is detected. Yeah. I think that's, that's it, yeah. yeah. Being authentic and sharing what you've, has helped you in your life is, um, is powerful. Yeah. And I also, I think most of the things I think about circle back to my favourite Spider-Man quote which is with great power comes great responsibility. Because mm-hmm. I've always thought this idea, I, 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 I know it's a, it's, a, it's a fun Spider-Man thing and they say it in a few of the films and I, I, I've always enjoyed Spider-Man. I've got my own, I'm, I'm 21 and I've got a Spider-Man morph suit that I've worn the past four or five poems. Mm. Um, and I, I'm, my brother's now got a matching one as well so we've now become Spider-Men. But like, I, 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 always, I think I, the reason I like the character so much is because of that one idea. That he sees himself as not just like, he didn't set out to become the superhero. Mm. He was given this power, and he assessed after a few life events that he had a responsibility to use that power. Mm. And if we've got like a, the power, be it a passion for something, or an interest, or a unique take on something, or a platform to share in, mm. and we use that, and we, we go into it with, you know, recognizing our power, being responsible over that power, and using that to really, you know, best fashion the tool that we have, then it really comes across and it really becomes quite super. Mm. As opposed to if you just sort of, if you're there because you know, you want, you seek the power, and you're not responsible about it and you just sort of do it for more service level reasons and it only will ever become service level. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Totally agree with you. Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm yet to find, I've been looking for a while, a lot of Googling if I'm honest with you, about like some great line of um, some ancient rabbi or written in the Talmud of a, of a, a great sort of, um, a proverb that seems to encapsulate the, the general idea of great power, great responsibility. Mm. If someone could let me know, I'd be, I'd be very great. Great power comes great responsibility. Um, let's think. Because I, I, I once well, spoke I, to teenagers you, about Well, this. I'll tell, you, I'll tell yeah. you that I think it actually, in Judaism, works the other way around. The more you take responsibility Ooh. for God, the more he gives you power. A.K.A of great forefather Abraham. What do we know about Abraham before God said to him, Lech lecha, Abraham, go for yourself and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And mm. suddenly he's got all this power, all this, all this uh, blessing and reward. Where did that come from? Do we know anything about him beforehand? What, did he just get us out of the blue? He literally just shows up, right? So it, it in the basic reading of the, of the Torah, yeah, he just sort of appears. Yeah, so it turns out mm. that actually we do know a bit about him beforehand. Oh, in the Midrash and in the commentary? No, 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 no. In the Torah text itself. We do. Do we? Mm. Pray tell. We do, we do, we do. But people uh, have missed this. Some people have missed this. So... In the end of Parshat Noah, the second Torah reading, um, we are introduced to Avram, Abram. That yeah. was what his name was before he became Abraham. Mm-hmm. And basically what happens is um, Abraham, um, well, actually, let's, let's wind back even further a second. Just before we're introduced to Abraham, 
we have the story of the Tower of Babel. Yeah. And what happened was you had a people who they said, let's build this big tower. Why? Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be destroyed. And, sc- and basically, they were saying, we want to make a, um, a, a, a monument to ourselves, to us. Um, and God said, oh, Yvay, this is not good at all. I'm going to have to scatter them. What was what's all that about? What was going on? Basically, they were trying to make life all about propagating themselves and their, you know, their their own uh, persona, ego, and it was all a, it was a very very kind of um, self oriented society that basically just said it's got to be about us, and they were kind of, I suppose, in some ways, pushing God out of the out of the picture, um, and so. Their society was propagating their own name, building a monument to us. Let us make a name for ourselves. And then we're introduced to Abraham. And what we are told about him is that um, his brother dies. And um, so he ends up marrying one of the daughters of his brother. And his other brother marries the other daughter of his brother. And she's known as Iska, but we're told, I think, by Rashi, I think it's Iska, that Iska is, was Sarah, was okay. Sarai, who was uh, Abraham's wife. Yep. And um, so Abraham's other brother was able to have a child with one of the... And the reason was it was sort of like a type of yibum. Yibum is where you um, marry uh, if, if a husband is able to... Sorry, if, a, if, if the brother of a deceased uh, brother... Yeah, yeah, it's just a case where if... A man, sadly, or a family. You've got a husband and wife. Yeah. And he passes away before yeah. having children. Yeah. Uh, then it's a, it's, a, it's a mission. It's an oral tradition. It's a, it's a law that the brother yeah. of, the, of the deceased guy has to now offer his hand in marriage to this widowed woman. Yes, yes. So that she has sort of a, a, a way to sort of be still supported and also to continue yeah. the family name. It's not really... Um, well, the actual... The, the marrying, the, the sibling part doesn't happen at all nowadays. Yeah, it doesn't happen and at all anymore. In the very rare cases, what does happen is this sort of... Um, very um, interesting tradition of the way they get out of it. There's a whole, like, they have to spit on a shoe. Yeah, exactly. Now, why do you think exciting. they have to spit on a shoe? Why spit on a shoe? Ooh. Because I don't know. I've learned about it's it. saying, I think one of the reasons it's saying, you are not going to fill his shoes and oh. take his place and continue to exactly what you said, prop- continue his name. Yeah. Right? Continue the deceased brother's name. It's a great chesed. It's a great kindness to do this. You're going to propagate the name of someone who is deceased. You can no longer do it. And Abraham is saying, I'm going to propagate the name and, uh, of someone who's no longer was, was unable to uh, continue to propagate his name. Mm. And it's a great kindness to do that. And so he married um, Iska, Sarah, and uh, they were unable to have children. Yeah. So now it's like, well, what does he do? So Abraham was a man focused on propagating the name of others and also of propagating the name of god okay he was focused on the propagation of other people's welfare other people's names and um interestingly enough it says vayesh i think the language is vayesh fusham they settled there when it talks about the people just about to build the tower of babel it says they settled there and then they're about to build and they use the exact same language. I think, uh, I think it's at the end of Parshat Noah, where it says Abraham and Sarah, they settled in a place, I think it was called Haran. 
Um, yeah, no, I know what you mean. And angels. it's yeah. it's it's almost like maybe telling us because I think this is the only two times in the Torah where this language Vayeshvu Sham is used. They says that there's only these two occasions. And maybe it's saying they were thinking for a second. They were kind of at breaking point. I don't know, but maybe they're thinking because there's like a connection between here. Maybe maybe there's like maybe it's a contrast between the two types of things. But maybe they were thinking we can't propagate the name of you know what do we do now? Do we break up? Do we do we you know what? Where do we go from here? And it's at that point where God then comes into the picture and he says, Avraham and Sarah, Shekoyach, Lech Lecha. Now you go. You have shown me that you are someone prepared to propagate the name, my name in this world and propagate the name of other people in this world. And you are the exact kind of person that I'm going to need to propagate my name throughout the entire world and to be the father of a people who propagate my name throughout the entire world. You are going to be the head of the, the forefather of my chosen people. And so when you say does Pat with great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> Avraham took responsibility. And for that reason, he was given all this power. God will reward people who take responsibility with power because they are going to use the power for good. Thank you for joining us today and listening to JTV Podcasts. You can find more podcasts from JTV, including interviews with Rabbi Manus Friedman, Dennis Prager, Rabbi Dr. Kiva Tatz, and many more, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Just search for JTV Podcasts with Oli Hannesfeld. Don't forget to subscribe on the JTV YouTube channel for hundreds of videos on Jewish philosophy, Israel, Jewish wisdom, and much, much more. Please consider supporting us so we can continue to grow. Just visit paypal.me forward slash JTV channel. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.